Welcome to Bench Talk, the week in science. My name is Dave Robinson. And I'm Ashley Best. You're listening to WFMP Louisville, 106.5 FM. This show's about bringing science to the people. We'll be bringing you weekly updates on new research that is important to all of us and celebrating evidence-based policy. We've scoured the library stacks for interesting articles, climbed the hill to stay informed on science policy, and performed some experiments of our own. We're here as a conduit of all things science. So, let's get started. Scott here. May brings thoughts of warmer weather, making getting outside much more enjoyable. Evening twilight lingers well beyond dinner time. So with those thoughts in mind, I head out and take a look at what the skies of May have to offer. Venus still lingers in our western skies as darkness falls. For the time being, it helps with getting one's bearings. Facing toward Venus means facing more or less to the west. South is to my left, north is to my right, and east is behind me. As Venus sinks closer to the horizon and darkness comes, some of the constellation companions I have mentioned in recent tours of the evening skies are setting with it. One might barely catch a glimpse of some of the stars of Orion near the western horizon. Perhaps Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, marking the watchful eye of the big dog Canis Major. So with old companions fading over the horizon, a scan of the skies reveals some new ones, some of which are not too difficult to imagine because they match their namesake. Others may be simple in pattern, but perhaps hard to see as that particular thing. High overhead is the constellation Leo the Lion. Leo can be fairly easy to recognize. Its brightest star, Regulus, is near the top of the sky as darkness comes. North of Regulus, one might notice a curve of stars. Along with Regulus, this might look like a sickle, or maybe a backwards question mark. This pattern marks the head and chest of Leo. East of here is a triangle star, sort of a right triangle. This would be the hindquarters of the lion. Leo is sometimes depicted laying down in the sky. As such, a star or two west of Regulus would represent his front paws extended in front of Leo, and a few dim ones below the right triangle-shaped hindquarters, his back paws. Beyond the head of Leo to the west, two bright stars of nearly the same brightness can be spotted. These are the twin stars Castor and Pollux. Pollux is the slightly brighter of the two. They mark the heads of Gemini, the twins. As darkness comes on, one might notice a line of stars extending down toward the horizon from each of these. This would be the bodies of these two twins. Venus will be a bit beyond the foot of Castor. Starting again with Leo, off to the southeast are two bright stars. The more southern of the two is Spica. It is the brightest star in Virgo the Maiden. A bit north of Spica, under less light-polluted skies, one might see a V-shaped group of stars. If you add Spica, it becomes more a letter Y. This would be the upper torso of Virgo, while the lower torso is a bit south and east of Spica. Perhaps best found using a star map, perhaps even one of those free apps one can get for one's smartphone. Just west of Spica, a group of four stars make sort of a rectangle bent upward in one corner. This is a constellation Corvus, the crow, or perhaps raven. As such, this was the cupbearer of the god Apollo of ancient Greek mythology. As a pattern, it may be a more obvious figure than the sprawling figure of Virgo. The more northerly bright star in the southeastern sky is Arcturus. 
It is much higher, and the constellation it belongs to is not too hard to see, but trying to see it as its namesake may take a bit more imagination. The constellation is Boötes the Herdsman. Boötes is lying on his side in the eastern sky and is shaped much like a four-sided paper kite. Starting with Arcturus, one might notice two stars of about the same brightness, then two more a bit broader, culminating in a single star above the second pair and halfway between them. This upper star is the head, the rest form his torso, but a kite is far easier to see. Now that we are facing the northeast, a familiar pattern is found here near Boötes, the figure of the Big Dipper. During much of the winter and early spring, the Dipper has been located much closer to the horizon. But now that we are in late spring, it is positioned much easier to find. I have pointed out in past broadcasts how the Dipper is useful for finding other constellations, including three I have already mentioned. The handle of the Dipper is curved or arc-shaped. So following the arc, one reaches Arcturus in Boötes, that is, one arcs to Arcturus. Continue on, one speeds to Spica, the bright star in Virgo. So if there were doubts about finding the right stars, this would be a double check. The back two stars in the bowl of the Big Dipper can point to a star as well. Traveling southward along that line, one comes to Regulus, the bright star in Leo the Lion. One might even imagine swinging the dipper down onto the head of the lion by using the handle of the Big Dipper. Again, a good way to check that the correct area and pattern of stars has been found. Finally, the best known alignment of stars within those that make up the bowl of the Big Dipper is the alignment of the front two stars. A line from the bottom front star to the top front star and extended roughly five to six times their spacing leads to Polaris, the North Star. Polaris is visible throughout the year, always at the same height from one's location, always pointing the direction north. Two more stars extending back in the general direction of the Big Dipper mark the handle of the Little Dipper, with a small box of stars marking its bowl, highlighted by two brighter stars marking the front of that bowl. Dark skies unhindered by light pollution are needed to find most of these, so the stars of the Little Dipper can be a test of just how light-polluted one's skies really are. Of course, I have mentioned in other broadcasts the Big and Little Dippers are really parts of Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, respectively, or the Big and Little Bears. A bit more imagination, dark skies, and a good star map may be necessary to see these figures. So, concentrating to find the Dippers first is the first step. Early May plays host to a meteor shire known as the Ada Aquariids, it is so named because the point from which the meteors seem to stream is located near that star. But what makes the Shire more interesting is that the meteors are material from the famous comet, Comet Halley. We actually pass through the orbit of Comet Halley twice a year, so this is the first of those passages. Sweeping up material left behind by past visits, one might be treated to more than a few shooting stars. A thicker clump of material may even produce as many as 50 an hour. As with all meteor showers, dedication and early morning rising may be necessary to see the most. We are more directly pointed into the path in the hour or two just before dawn's light takes the stars, and thus the shooting stars, away. But as Halley won't be back until 2061, we at least can see a reminder of its passing through our part of the solar system. That was Scott Miller 
astronomy and physics professor at Maysville Community and Technical College in Maysville, Kentucky. Thanks for kicking off our 80th episode of Bench Talk, Scott. And now I want to tell you about a story. It recently ran in the journal Science, and it's about a research grant that was just defunded by the National Institutes of Health. Now, the research project was in its sixth year, and I thought it was doing some pretty cool things. The title of the project is Understanding the Risk of Bat Coronavirus Emergence. That seems pretty important, don't you think? But the NIH just pulled the plug on this grant. The grant first got funded in 2014 and was renewed for another five years in 2019, after receiving an outstanding review score by other scientists. So you might be like me and ask, why would a grant studying how dangerous coronaviruses can jump from bats to human, which appears to be exactly what happened with the current coronavirus crisis we're experiencing, why would the NIH stop funding that project? Well, that's the topic of this piece written by Meredith Wadman and John Cohen, their two staff writers for science. And it was published in the April 30, 2020 issue. And by the way, Science is the official journal of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, and it's one of the premier science journals in the world. So why did the NIH defund this project while it's still going on? Well, one of the virologists on this defunded project is a... Chinese scientist who works at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China, which, according to some conspiracy theories, is the potential source of the novel coronavirus now called SARS-CoV-2. Now, I've heard a lot of conspiracy theories about how this virus came to be. There's people on the left who are telling me that it's a plot by Trump and the elite 1% to conquer us and wrench controls of the economy and our political freedoms. I've listened to online sermons by Christian fundamentalist preachers saying that these are the final stages of preparation for the coming of the Antichrist. I've heard people on the right saying that this is a plot by liberals who are using the crisis to allow university professors, the United Nations, George Soros, and the Bill Gates Foundation to pave the way for a communistic takeover of the planet. And then there's the theory put forth by the Chinese government itself that it was American athletes who were in Wuhan in October of 2019 competing at the World Military Games. They somehow introduced the virus to the area. So many conspiracy theories and so little time. Which one do you subscribe to? Or are you, like me, looking for a simpler, more rational explanation for the emergence of this pandemic? Perhaps you've heard of Occam's razor and the idea that the best explanation is the one that requires the fewest assumptions. You know, the simplest explanation is most likely the correct one. Anywho, the current occupant of the White House appears to believe in one or more of these contorted explanations for the original source of coronavirus. And you can hear it yourself. Here is President Donald J. Trump speaking at the Coronavirus Task Force briefing that was held at the White House on April 17th, 
2020. It'll start with a question by a reporter for Newsmax, an extremely conservative news outlet. We're talking more right-wing than Fox News, even. The reporter's name is Emerald Robinson. No relation. Please, in the back. Thank you, Mr. President. U.S. intelligence is saying this week that the coronavirus likely came from a level four lab in Wuhan. There's also another report that the NIH, under the Obama administration in 2015, gave that lab $3.7 million in a grant. Why would the U.S. give a grant like that to China? Uh, the Obama administration gave them a grant of $3.7 million. I've been hearing about that. Uh, and we've instructed that if any grants are going to that uh, area, we're looking at it literally about an hour ago and also early in the morning. Uh, we will end that grant very quickly. But it was granted quite a while ago. They were granted a substantial amount of money. Uh, we're going to look at it and take a look, but I understand it was a number of years ago, right? So when, you are. When did you hear? When did you hear was the grant was made? 2015. 2015. Who was president then? I wonder. Obama. Obama. Oh, Obama. Now, first of all, is that true that the NIH gave 3.7 million dollars to a lab in Wuhan, China? No. The grant was to an American nonprofit called EcoHealth Alliance, and that runs out of New York City. The alliance actually has projects in 30 different countries around the world, like Thailand, Vietnam, and China. EcoHealth Alliance collaborates there with a researcher named Dr. Shi Zhengli at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, only a portion of this grant actually went to Dr. Shi. The five-year grant is for $3.1 million, not $3.7 million, like the reporter said, and only $600,000 went to Dr. Xi, which is about 20% of the grant. Now, it was actually Dr. Xi and her collaborators who first reported in Science back in 2005 that bats do serve as the natural repositories for coronaviruses. She's also done research on demonstrating which part of the virus can latch onto the human receptor, which is important for the infection process. And she published that in 2017, along with information about bats containing enough different types of coronaviral strains that it is possible they mixed up enough to evolve into the SARS viral strain behind the worldwide outbreak of SARS in 2002-2004. Dr. Shi worked for years building up one of the world's largest databases of bat-related viral genome sequences. She and her colleagues collected some 15,000 bat samples from the field. They published a sequence of a coronavirus in January, which allowed researchers around the world to develop test kits for diagnosing people who were infected. They also published a paper in February of this year showing that remdesivir and chloroquinine were two promising medicines for treating patients who have the COVID-19 disease. So what President Trump is hinting at in this White House briefing is the theory that this virology lab in Wuhan either purposely or accidentally released this particular strain of virus to the population there, and then it spread throughout the world from Wuhan. You can hear him say as much at this same event. Listen in. 
Investigation into whether the virus escaped from this lab in Wuhan. How active is that? And when well, do you we're, gonna, we're looking at it. A lot of people are looking at it. It seems to make sense. They talk about a certain kind of bat, but that bat wasn't in that area. If you can believe this, that's what they're down to now is bats. But that bat is not in that area. That bat wasn't sold at that wet zone. It wasn't sold there. That bat is 40 miles away. So a lot of strange things are happening. But there is a lot of investigation going on, and we're going to find out. All I can say is wherever it came from, came from China, in whatever form, 184 countries now are suffering because of it. And it's too bad, isn't it? And it could have been solved very easily. When it was just starting, it could have been solved really very easily. Well, I can certainly get behind that last statement. Now, there's a Washington Post story about two diplomatic cables that were sent in 2018, which, quote, warned about safety and management weaknesses at the Wuhan Institute of Virology Lab. It also warned that the lab's work on bat coronaviruses and their potential human transmission represented a risk of a new SARS-like pandemic, unquote. So that is of concern. These two members were about the then brand new biosafety level lab that is located in the Wuhan Research Facility, but Dr. Xi's lab was taking place in a different facility at a biosafety level three lab because that's all you need to work for coronaviruses. The lab at University of Louisville, where they're currently testing people for the virus, is only a BSL-3 lab. And it's worth noting that these two State Department memos were not written by scientists, and it wasn't a standardized evaluation, and it never resulted in any sort of action by the NIH at that time. This was back in 2018. White House officials have reportedly pressed the U.S. intelligence agencies to produce firm evidence linking this virus to the Wuhan lab, but the spy agencies haven't actually done that yet. Just last week, it was April 30th, 2020, the Director of National Intelligence issued an official statement that, quote, the intelligence community concurs with the wide scientific consensus that the COVID-19 virus was not man-made or genetically modified, unquote. Now, to parse that, though, they didn't actually say anything there about the possibility of an accidental release of a natural strain of coronavirus. And then, shockingly, when a reporter brought up this intelligence statement with the president and was asked if he personally had seen any evidence that the virus had originated in the Wuhan lab, Trump said, quote, yes, I have. And when the reporter pressed for more information, Trump said, quote, I can't tell you that. I'm not allowed to tell you that, unquote. This is pretty shocking to me because either he's making up stories about seeing this evidence, or if it's true, he's divulging national secrets. Now, this question about the Wuhan lab did come up during the Q&A period of this same White House event, but it was asked of Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is one of the lead scientists on the task force. Here's that clip. I wanted to ask, uh, Dr. Fauci, could you address these suggestions or concerns uh, that this virus was somehow man-made, possibly came out of a laboratory in China? You studied this virus. What are the prospects of that? Yeah. 
There was a study uh, recently that we can make available to you where a, a group of highly qualified evolutionary virologists looked at the sequences there and the sequences in uh, bats as they evolve. And the mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. So, I mean, the, the paper will be available. I, I don't have the authors right now, but we can make that available too. Now, of course, Dr. Fauci didn't really address the possibility that perhaps Dr. Xi and her colleagues collected samples of this virus from bats that had already evolved the ability to infect people, brought it back to their lab for sequencing, and then somehow it escaped. But I found a view with Dr. Peter Dazak, who's the head of EcoHealth Alliance. That's the group that received the main NIH grant that's now ended. Dazak was quoted in the April 23rd, 2020 issue of Vox that, quote, if you do the math on this, it's very straightforward. He says, we have hundreds of millions of bats in Southeast Asia, and about 10% of bats in some colonies have viruses at any one time. So that's hundreds of thousands of bats every night with viruses. We also find tens of thousands of people in the wildlife trade, hunting and killing wildlife in China and Southeast Asia, and millions of people living in rural populations in Southeast Asia near bat caves. He says, quote, We went out and surveyed a population in Yunnan, China, to bat caves and found viruses that we thought could be high risk. So we sampled people nearby and 3% had antibodies to those viruses. So between the last two and three years, those people were exposed to bat coronaviruses. If you extrapolate that population across the whole of Southeast Asia, it's 1 million to 7 million people a year getting infected by bat viruses. Compare that, he says, to what we know about the labs. Quote, if you look at the labs in Southeast Asia that have coronaviruses in culture, there are probably two or three, and they're in high city. The Wuhan Institute of Virology does have a small number of bat coronavirus in culture. That's different than ones just frozen. But he says, but they're not the new coronavirus. They're not SARS-CoV-2. And he says, there are probably a half a dozen people that do work in those labs. So let's compare 1 million to 7 million people a year to half a dozen people. It's just not logical, unquote. But anyway, I need to get back to the story. This grant to study coronaviruses in bats that the NIH abruptly ended last week, you heard President Trump saying publicly, we will end this very soon. And what do you know? The NIH terminates that grant only seven days later. This raises some issues. First of all, as before, that Newsmax reporter got it wrong. It's not a $3.7 million grant. It's a $3.1 million grant. But it was only $600,000 that went to the Wuhan lab. That's about $120,000 per year for five years. It's a lot. Dr. Xi's allotment of money went towards sequencing the RNA genomes of the various bat viruses they had collected. 
And they also tested the blood of people near caves where the bats live to see whether they had antibodies to these viruses, because that's an indication of whether or not they've been exposed to the virus. And sure enough, about 3% of the people do have antibodies to those viruses. Since this grant had just been reviewed and approved by the NIH until 2024, there were plans to test more people and wildlife to pinpoint the hot spots in China where the risk was highest for a bat coronavirus to actually jump to humans. That seems like it's pretty worthwhile information to have. It reminds me of that quote from an ancient Chinese warrior, Know thy enemy. Anyway, this grant has already produced dozens of papers and discoveries, including the genetic sequences of two different coronavirus strains, Those sequences helped identify remdesivir as a potential treatment for COVID-19. And in January, Dr. Shi published a bat sequence that was 96.2% identical to the SARS-CoV-2 strain that is causing so many problems. That's the closest relative they have at this time. So Dr. Dansack, the principal investigator on this larger EcoHealth Alliance grant, was in NIH that the grant was ending. He was informed of that on April 24th, just one week after President Trump's statement. Danzak asked the reason, and the NIH official replied, quote, for convenience. And when asked, what does for convenience mean, the official quoted the NIH policy that they can cancel a grant, quote, to protect the public health and welfare from the effects of a serious deficiency, unquote. Earlier in April of this year, Danzak had received an email from this official stating that, quote, it is in the public interest that NIH ensure that a grant subrecipient has taken all appropriate precautions to prevent the release of pathogens that it is studying, unquote. But to date, the NIH hasn't offered any support for this allegation, and Danzak has never been accused of wrongdoing. But the science article points out that there's no scientific evidence that this particular coronavirus strain we're contending with right now was actually collected by Xi's lab or somehow escaped. The sequence that they published, the one that was 96% the same, that would take 20 years of evolution to become the version we're dealing with now. And that's what Dr. Fauci was referring to. As for bioengineering this virus... A paper was recently published in Medicine showing that the viral sequence shows no sign of being manipulated in a lab. In fact, the way it binds to our cellular receptors is not even optimal. It could be binding stronger than it is. Of course, the idea that this virus is the result of release from the lab, it can't be disproved. Just like you can't prove to me that your grandmother was not a Nazi spy. It's possible. It might not be legal for the federal government to just cut a grant out like this without due process. At one point, the NIH had told EcoHealth Alliance to continue their research project in other parts of the globe, but to stop their work in China, all of a sudden they reversed that policy and just ended the entire grant. The NIH does have some latitude in canceling an award midstream like this, as long as the situation meets one of four different criteria 
which I've looked at, and it's a lot of a mumbo-jumbo, but the science authors claim that none of these four situations actually apply in these circumstances. Hey, I have some other comments to make about this situation and some quotes to read you from various scientists, but unfortunately, we've run out of time. So we'll continue on this topic next week. See you then. Well, that's the show this week. Thank you for listening to Bench Talk, The Week in Science. We think the world is a fascinating place and science is a good way to explore it. Science truly empowers all of us. If you want to learn more about the show, go to our Facebook page. Just search for Bench Talk, two words on Facebook. Now, all of our episodes are podcasted on SoundCloud, so just visit the station's website at www.forwardradio.org and scroll down to the program archives. If you live outside of the Louisville broadcast area, you can still listen to us on live stream at that same website, www.forwardradio.org. Thank you for listening to WFMPLP 106.5 FM, your grassroots, volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky, where there is still a little room for evidence-based rational analysis. Thank you.